A particularly rewarding aspect of um, my priestly ministry is visiting the sick and those confined to their homes by reason of old age. And when I do so, I often read to them the gospel of the following Sunday, showing my, sharing my own initial reflections and inviting those I am visiting to share their thoughts. The miracles we hear about uh, from Jesus in today's gospel, um, I regret to inform you, are rarely seen to happen to those I visit. The blind, if I visit a blind person, remains blind. The lame remain lame. I've not visited any lepers, to my knowledge. The deaf remain deaf. And if they have already died, I'm afraid they remain they're dead when I leave as well. Yet the faith and hope of my aged and sick parishioners is very touching. Some, perhaps unrealistically, hope to be completely well again. Some tell me they are quietly and patiently waiting to go home. In one case, recently I asked what the person meant uh, when she said that she was waiting to go home in case she thought that she really, did, she really did think that she might be returning to her home. But she said no, she meant the home of heaven. A blind parishioner I visited a couple of weeks ago after I had given him communion, naturally did not uh, his sight was not restored, but um, after I'd given him communion, he took my hands into his and gave me this beautiful reflection about the anointed hands of the priest. It was such a touching uh, occasion, literally, because he was holding my hands. But that man, even though he was blind, uh, you know, with that to, as regards his natural sight, the light of faith was clear within him. The light of faith was burning brightly. And he was able to see much more than many others are able to see. He was able to see what many cannot see. So it's that hope of heaven and that faith that should sustain each one of us, the hope of eternal life. But far from just adopting a sit-back-and-wait approach, you know, well, the Lord will come and I'm, I'm kind of ready... This hope should actually direct our attitude to life. Everything is about coming closer to Christ, developing a deeper interior life, rooting out sin, undergoing a radical conversion. Why did John the Baptist send his disciples to Jesus to ask him if he is the one who is to come or whether they should look for another? John, as we recall, had been cast into prison for taking Herod to task over his sinful relationship with Herodias. Not only was Herodias someone else's wife, she was indeed Herod's brother's wife. And rightly did Jesus say to the crowds that when they went out to the desert after John, it was not a reed swayed by the wind that they went out to see. John was no reed shaken by the wind. For nothing bent him from his uprightness, nothing moved him towards sin, nothing could induce him to compromise with error or compromise the truth in any way, even in the face of a tyrant such as Herod. In the light of this, it is unlikely that John needed any assurance that the Christ about whose works he had heard was indeed the Messiah, the one who was to come. He who pointed Jesus out to his disciples as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
He who acknowledged himself as unworthy to carry Jesus' sandals. He who asked Jesus why he came to him to be baptized when it was he, John, who needed to be baptized by Jesus. He did not need any assurance that Jesus was the Christ who was to come. Rather, he wanted his disciples now to become the disciples of Jesus, fulfilling his own prophecy that he must increase and I must decrease. Those described as a reed swayed by the wind or dressed in fine clothing and dwelling in royal palaces represent the worldly-minded. They will advocate the removal of Christianity from the public square. They will advocate compromise with error. They will advocate the collapse of social and and personal morality. They might even infiltrate the church so that his mission will focus more on worldly issues than the business of converting nations, baptizing them, making them Catholic. Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared in 1531 as the first evangelist to the Mexican people, as Pope St. John Paul II called her. Her purpose was singular, to convert the Mexican people where the missionaries had failed. And in the decades following her appearance to humble Juan Diego, nine million souls were baptized into the Catholic Church. They were liberated on the one hand from the abuse they were suffering at the hands not of the missionaries, but of the Spanish government officials in Mexico, who in turn were acting without the approval of the, the authority of the government back in Spain. And on the other, much more importantly, from the enslavement of the Aztec religion that worshipped false gods, even engaging in child sacrifice at an horrific scale. Our Lady appeared pregnant with Jesus, indicating both the sanctity of unborn life and the evil of child sacrifice, and the fact that she was the true Ark of the Covenant, bearing to the Mexican people the very Messiah who, as we read today, restored sight to the blind, enabled the lame to walk, cleansed lepers, made the deaf hear, all foreseen in the prophecy of Isaiah that we also heard this morning. So what is the healing that our Lord came to bring? What is the true liberation that Christ came to bring us? It was not a political liberation. He himself died on the cross under a Roman governor. No, it was liberation from sin. It was the sight that he wished to restore to us, the sight that comes from him who is the light of the world, faith. He wished to give us the strength and the grace to overcome our sins and vices so that we may rise and walk as children of the light. He came to grant us the cleansing of the leprosy of the, of the soul, the ability to hear the word of God and even the desire, the thirst for that word, satisfied, satisfied through daily reading of and meditation on the sacred scriptures. To make sure that we would consider ourselves poor, like St. Juan Diego, and that we would be comforted by the good news of the gospel. It is a spiritual liberation. Yesterday the church celebrated the feast of St. John of the Cross, who was almost contemporary with Our Lady of Guadalupe's appearance. She appeared in 1531. 
John of the Cross died in the year 1591. And he wrote in his poem, uh, Living Flame of Love, O my God and my life, they shall know thee and behold thee when thou touchest them, who, making themselves strangers upon earth, shall purify themselves. As in thee there is nothing material, so the more profoundly dost thou touch me, changing what in me is human into divine. Thou removest the soul far away from every other touch whatever, and makest it thine own, such that the touch of everything else seems vile and low, the very sight offensive, and all relations therewith a deep affliction. It is the coming of the Lord that we await with longing, with firm hearts, as St. James teaches us today, adhering to the teachings of the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, the greatest of whom was John the Baptist. As St. James says today, the judge is standing before the gates. And we should go eagerly to meet this judge in the sacrament of reconciliation. How long is it since you went to confession? Is it a month? Maybe it's six months. Maybe it was last Lent or last Advent. Maybe it's a year. Maybe five, maybe ten, maybe fifty. Whether you went recently or long ago, you and I too should make a good confession this Advent. If you haven't already done so, go to confession this week. We have the reconciliation service this Thursday evening at 6.30 with five priests able to hear confessions in English and Spanish. And do please take the guide for confession and prepare. An English one was placed inside each of the bulletins and there are more at the back and there's a Spanish one also at the back of the church. And if you think you don't need to go to confession Spend time honestly examining your conscience during the next few days with the help of this guide. And if you don't think confession is necessary, ask why did our Lord institute this sacrament? He gave us seven sacraments, not six, because we need each one of them. Not one of those sacraments is superfluous. To deny the need for this sacrament is really to tell our Lord, that you know better than he does. We need to humble ourselves. We need to be poor in spirit, like Saint Juan Diego. And if we make ourselves the least in the kingdom of heaven, we can be greater even than John the Baptist. And then our rejoicing at the nearness of the Lord will be truly great. Y solo quiero repetir la última parte de mi homilía en español. Como nos, como nos dice hoy Santiago, uh, el apóstol Santiago, el juez ya está a la, a la puerta. Deberíamos ir con ganas, con ilusión, a encontrarnos con este juez en el sacramento de la reconciliación. ¿Cuánto tiempo hace desde que fuiste a la confesión? ¿Un mes? ¿Seis meses? Uh, la última cuaresma, último adviento, un año, cinco, diez, cincuenta. Ya se hace poco, mucho tiempo. Tú y yo debemos hacer una buena confesión 
en este adviento. Si aún no lo has hecho, ve esta semana. Tenemos el servicio de reconciliación este jueves a las seis y media con cinco sacerdotes capaces de escuchar las, las confesiones en inglés o en español. So, por favor, tome la guía para la confesión. Hay una guía atrás en la entrada, en la entrada de la iglesia y usalo por preparar una buena confesión. Y si crees que no necesitas confesarse, que pase tiempo examinando honestamente tu conciencia con la ayuda de esta guía. Y si no crees que la confesión es necesaria, pregunte por qué nuestro Señor instituyó este sacramento. Nos dio siete sacramentos, no seis, y los necesitamos a todos. Ninguno es superfluo. Negar la necesidad de este sacramento es decir a nuestro Señor que usted, que tú sabes mejor que Él. Que seamos humildes y pobres de espíritu como San Juan Diego. Si nos hacemos los menos en el reino de los cielos, seremos más grandes incluso que Juan el, bautismo, el Bautista. Entonces nuestro regocijo por la cercanía del Señor será verdaderamente grandioso.